Welcome to the MFR Coaches Podcast, where we talk about how you can create a six-figure MFR practice. I'm your host, Heather Hommel. Not only have I been practicing MFR for 11 years, I'm also a life and business coach, especially for MFR therapists. My goal is for you to understand how to get fully booked, how to talk to your clients, and how to make sure they understand what's possible for them with MFR treatment. I'm here to help you stop under earning, overworking, and burning out. I'll lend support so you can create the MFR practice you've always wanted. Learn how you can do it too, even if you live in a tiny town, and even if you're just starting out, and even if you've ran your practice for years. Let's go. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the MFR Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Hommel, and today I am joined by one of my most hilarious friends, Kristen King, who I'm going to have introduce herself in just a second. But before we get going, just a fair warning, this is probably going to be one of the most swearyest episodes I have ever produced in my life, which is my favorite because I love the F word and it is going to be flowing freely. So if you are driving with kids, or if you are easily offended, not sure why you're listening to my podcast, but pop in those headphones or don't listen to this episode. All right, Kristen King, welcome to the podcast. Tell us all about who you are and what you do besides being a life and business coach or you know who you coach, what you do. Thank you so much for having me. And I feel like I should just record that disclaimer and provide it to everyone who interviews me to like save them some time. So it was perfect. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I am, as you mentioned, a life and business coach. I like to think of myself as the chief reclaimer of fucks because I work with people to get their get their fucks back from all of the bullshit that they've been giving energy to so they can use those fucks for the stuff that actually matters. So we root out perfectionism and people-pleasing and internalized patriarchy crap that's getting in the way of everything you want to do. And we learn how to give way fewer effects about that stuff. So you have so much energy and attention left for things that really matter, that make a difference and that make you feel alive instead of the stuff that like sucks the life out of you. <laughs> I love that so much. I think I have just learned recently, like in the last year, how to do that, how to start implementing that. I have a long way to go. It's like people pleasing is my, I think my default. And it's something that I coach on in my group too, is like how to not people please. But the more exposure we can get from like different voices and anyone else saying the same things or tweaking it in a different way, the better. And I think for my audience, which is myofascial release therapists, like they're in the healing realm. And I think by default, a lot of us healers are people pleasers because we feel like people need to like us and we need to sacrifice ourselves in order to help others. And that's just how it should be. Why is that? (laughs) What is that? It's so funny because it's really like rampant in the healing professions, right? And like, we have to be so aware of that because otherwise we get so burned out. But like the whole reason that we're in the line of work that we're in, whether it's MFR or mental health or coaching or teaching or whatever is that we actually give a shit about people and we want to help people. And we picked this thing because we think it makes a difference and it does. But where we kind of run into it is like, okay, well, how do I take care of myself in addition to taking care of other people? And sometimes we'll tell ourselves the story that if I am saying no, if I am protecting time and energy for me, if I am setting and holding boundaries, then I'm doing it wrong because I'm being selfish. 
and I'm not actually helping people. And that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's just really common, especially when you think the work you do is really important, right? Because you want to share it with people. Mm -hmm. And it can be hard to kind of break that pattern and shift to a different way of thinking about it. But it's super worth it because it makes you an even more effective supporter and helps you model that kind of care for other people who may not have developed that skill in the way they'd like to yet either. So good. So I just took 21 days off of working. I did not do any work during that time. And it was probably the most uncomfortable I've been <laughs> in yeah. a long time, right? And I didn't have a ton of things planned. Like I, I wasn't really on vacation other than I like I went home to visit my family, which was more of just, you know, not relaxing, not not a fun, not fun, I wouldn't say. It wasn't relaxing. And I would say too, like my old self before coaching would have never taken that much time off without a reason to do it, right? Like just to, just to rest. I did a lot of resting, which felt wonderful. But also in the beginning, I think I was kind of depressed because I felt like I should be doing something else. I should be being productive. I shouldn't need all of this rest. And that fits into kind of this people pleasing and worrying about what other people think and all that other crap. Yeah. And that's that's such a common experience. And as you may recall from last December, I took off from the second week of December through the first week in January. And it was like the worst I have ever felt in my entire life. I had recently left my corporate job and I was taking this vacation to kind of like regroup and recharge and whatever. And it felt like dying the whole time I was on vacation. And you may recall a particular conversation we had with our mastermind group in which I was like ugly crying about how awful I felt and how like I can't hack it because I'm feeling so bad. And it was like the worst month of my life. It felt so horrible to take vacation and not be producing anything and to feel like I hadn't like done anything to earn being able to take vacation because so much of my life I was programmed that in order to rest in order to do something for ourselves we have to have a good reason even if you're like kind of sick you still have to go to work because you probably can you don't have to be laying down the whole time you're not actively puking you just think you might so that's like not a good enough reason right like we're so trained that we have to do all of these things just because we can and yeah. if we're not doing them when we could there's something wrong with us and it takes a long time to detox from that because it feels so unsafe to do nothing it feels so unsafe to have not had some sort of like external validation that we earned the right to take a break. We didn't have to work ourselves to exhaustion to do it. We could just take a break because we wanted to take a break. It takes a real long time for that shit to sink in. And until it does, like taking a break, going to bed, turning off your email, silencing your phone, feels like shit, man. It feels so bad <laughs> until you really let it sink in and hang with it. Yeah. So do you think most people then, like the habit is more so avoiding that pain or that anxiety they're going to feel. I mean, 
I don't know if I've been more anxious or depressed in my life. <laughs> like during the yeah, right. 20 days off. Everybody, <laughs> I highly recommend it. Right. And I like went off of social media. So there was like kind of that detox from that constant dopamine hit of checking all of that stuff. What's the payoff for going through that and taking that time and feeling that shitty? Like, what is the payoff for that? The payoff is the pattern interrupt that it creates. And for those of us who really struggle with feeling really guilty or like continuing to check email on vacation or whatever, even though we promised ourselves that we wouldn't, there is this demand response thing that happens in us where someone says jump and we immediately start jumping and then like confirm how high they want us to jump and in which direction and how long are we supposed to jump and we'll do anything they say, right? Like we have this like conditioned response to requests. We have this conditioned response to other people's desires. We have this conditioned response to these external stimuli. And by continuing to do that, we relieve the discomfort of leaving the response unanswered. But it is really uncomfortable to leave the response unanswered. And when we go through the process of actually doing this detox and giving ourselves space and leaving the request or whatever it is there and letting it be someone else's, once we get to the other side of that and it starts to feel less awful, we've broken that automatic loop and it gives us space to make more conscious choices and to actually decide what we want to do and what we're willing to do and what is mutually beneficial on purpose rather than just immediately jumping into action because someone else asks us to do something. The pause that it allows, the space for intentionality that that detox creates is priceless. And it also brings an awareness of how many places we have not been taking that pause and not been considering what we actually need and how this request or desire fits into that context. And it gives us a lot more room to have space for ourselves and our lives when we get to the other side of that detox process. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I can see how not just in relation to taking breaks, but in our own everyday boundaries, like responding to emails or responding to social media questions or or anything for my audience, like responding to their clients when they have a request for an appointment or something, or they want to talk about their healing crisis or whatever, how available we make ourselves to that is also some of our past conditioning and also a way Mm -hmm. maybe to avoid whatever feeling we don't want to feel. I know I oftentimes say that I'm, I just feel better when I immediately respond to stuff, but then I end up saying yes to stuff that I don't actually want to do. And if I would have taken even 30 seconds more to respond, the answer would have been no instead of yes. Yeah. And that's common for so many people. We get into this expectation that like someone asks something of us and we must respond immediately. Like it's our job to be responsive. And if we're not responsive, then we're selfish. We're not doing what we said or whatever. But that's not even always like the thing that people most need. It's just the thing that they could like express in that moment. So that's kind of like another part of the conversation. But the feeling that we're like avoiding by doing that and having that immediate response is the feeling of shame, the feeling of guilt, that we are being selfish, that we're doing something wrong, that we have some sort of obligation to other people that we're not fulfilling. And that feels terrible. And so rather than allow ourselves to feel that and explore if it's even really true, or if it's just some sort of conditioned reaction, 
we just take the action that has been requested, whatever it is, to avoid that feeling because it feels like ass. Which So it's like very logical. It's a very logical thing to do. But there's other ways for it to not feel like ass than for you to constantly be like leaping to your feet and tying yourself in knots every time your device of choice dings. Yeah. Or saying yes to the thing over and over again to avoid someone else's reaction. Yeah. Because you don't want to deal with whatever feelings they might have because that would feel uncomfortable or shamey or guilty or whatever. So Mm -hmm. we just do the thing because it's easier for us to be annoyed, disappointed in ourselves or whatever than to tolerate the possibility that someone else might not think glowy rainbow thoughts about us all the time. Yeah. That has been one of my biggest challenges lately is allowing other people to be wrong about me, especially people who I have been people pleasing our entire relationship and like starting to show up and give myself permission to change my mind and allow the other person to completely melt down how I have predicted they will and make it my fault for their feelings. And then just being completely okay as okay as I can, right? Like getting myself coached through it, but with their response, because I'm not people pleasing and it's uncomfortable, but also I think I've learned, I don't want to be the one that's always uncomfortable. Like I want to choose me. And when I choose me, not out of selfishness. And even if I am being selfish, like who's deciding that first of all, like when I'm taking care of me, I show up to a world much better for the actual people that I really care about and who care about me, the people that are freaking out about me doing something that they don't like or whatever, like they're probably not my friend, even though they think they are. It's not very friendly. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's kind of tricky about people pleasing is we think that we're doing this out of the goodness of our hearts, out of this deep generosity, because I just live to serve or whatever. (laughs) And sometimes that's going to be true. There are going to be some situations where something is kind of unpleasant or unpalatable, but you have like a really good reason for choosing to do it anyway, because the end result matters more to you than the discomfort or distaste of the thing. So that does actually exist. But when we're people-pleasing people, we're telling ourselves it's because we're, we're so generous and giving or whatever, but we're actually manipulating the other person and being very controlling of them, right? We're Mm -hmm. telling them something with the intention of eliciting a specific response from them, whether the response is, you know, they leave me alone or the response is they tell me how great I am or the response is that later they owe me something or whatever. We're not doing this selflessly. Mm -hmm. We're doing it to get something for ourselves. And then if they don't respond in the way that we have tried to manipulate them into responding, we become very resentful, but we can't tell them that we're resentful because they definitely won't elicit the response that we want from them. So then we just keep like sublimating our own needs harder and harder and harder, trying to like get them to do something for us, but it doesn't really work. And so the way that I think about people pleasing is that it's a continuum. And what I just described where we're constantly sublimating our own needs in in favor of other people's needs is the fuck me end of this continuum. Fuck me. My needs don't matter. The only thing that matters is what you need. And I guess I'll just suffer through fuck me because this is what I have to do for this relationship. It's like martyry. Yeah, it's very martyry. But then 
when it doesn't work, which spoiler alert, it doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. There's always a blowout. (laughs) Yeah. When we get like super frustrated, then we swing to the other side of the continuum, which is the fuck you side of the continuum. Mm -hmm. And this is where we are super resentful also. And we dominate other people. And it often will look like I see a lot of most of my clients are women or people who were socialized as women, even if that's not necessarily how they identify today. And one of the places that it will often show up is with their partner or their kids. They'll be cleaning up after everybody on the fuck me side and like doing all the things and doing all the thankless work and blah, 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 blah. And just getting like more and more resentful toward these ingrates they live with who can't be bothered to do anything, but I have to do everything. And at some point that I have to do everything flips over and swings to the other side. And it's, I'm so sick and tired of doing everything for you people. And you never even say thank you. You just expect me to do everything and you don't lift a fucking finger and nobody ever does anything for me. And guess what? Now you get to fucking do everything because I'm not doing another thing. Have fun. Light a match, leave the room. Yes. Yeah, it's just like... (laughs) So we go from trying to control people by pretending like we're letting them dominate us, but sort of making everybody feel good about it and building up this huge resentment to then swinging to the other side of the continuum where we're attempting to control people by dominating them mm-hmm. overtly. Both sides though, we're like trying to control people and we're trying to make them do things for our benefit. So we feel some kind of way and then we lose our shit and get mad at them when it doesn't work. And yeah. it creates so much resentment and there's like no space for honesty in the relationship when that's how we're working and we're like, well, I'm just so generous. I just can't say no to people. Like, <laughs> my bitch, that's not it. You're real manipulative and you think this is going to get you the thing that you want. Yeah. And like, we want to know how to people please. Like if someone holds a gun to my head in an elevator or something, like I'm going to be whoever you want me to be, bro, <laughs> sure. for me to get out of that elevator alive. Whatever right? you need. Yeah. Yeah. This is an important survival skill, right? Like there are mm-hmm. times when we need to be agreeable and de-escalate because that creates like actual physical safety for everyone involved, but it is not an effective default way to have relationships. It just isn't because it's all about control and it's all about transactions and I'm going to do for you. So you do for me. And if you don't do for me, then fuck you. Yeah. I think this can like easily show up in client therapist relationship too with scheduling appointments or like the Mm -hmm. hours you want to work, but you don't hold to your hours and you let someone tell you when they're going to come in or you go and you see people on a weekend one time and then you make that mean you have to do it every weekend instead of just being like not willing to disappoint the client. So it's the same thing though. It's kind of manipulative because you're doing it so that the client doesn't get mad at you or so they don't leave or or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when you mm-hmm. think about it, instead of pleasing the client, you're manipulating them. I think it's easier to back off from that behavior. And that's like a really good way to look at it. Like instead of making it cute and cuddly, like, oh, I'm just a people pleaser. You'd be like, actually, I'm a massive manipulator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like I love yeah. to manipulate people so that I don't have to feel a certain way. And not because you're bad or or anything like manipulation, people pleasing. It's not any different. It just sounds a little bit more cute and cuddly when you say people pleasing versus mm-hmm. manipulating. 
Yeah. But when you can remember what you're doing, it's kind of not good. <laughs> That's exactly it, right? Because here's the thing. I want you to know how to do that. I want you to know how to manipulate people around you to get your needs met because that's a really important survival skill. Mm-hmm. But I want you to also know that that's not the only way to get your needs met. Right. Like you actually have the power to meet your own needs and you don't need other people to come around or whatever in order for you to have that thing. You can actually create it for yourself. And the cure for this epidemic of manipulation and people-pleasing is boundaries. It's just boundaries. Tell us more. Yeah. Because I think some people think boundaries is like you make a bunch of rules and you really enforce those rules. But what actually is setting boundaries? Yeah. So boundaries are about deciding what you're going to do in the presence of whatever. So let me give you an example. So imagine that you're... I don't know, like an MFR therapist or something hypothetical. Like <laughs> hypothetical, <laughs> hello. Hypothetically, I know that that's a very odd example for me to use, but let's just go with it. Go with it. <laughs> so imagine you're an MFR therapist and your hours of operation are from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Thursday. And there's this one client who always texts you on Fridays. And every time the text alert dings, you're like, motherfucker, it's that guy again. <laughs> this never so happens, am I right? <laughs> reluctantly pick up the phone and see what it is that he needs now. And then you answer back and then you put the phone down and you're like, I swear to God, every fucking week, right? So just totally hypothetically. Yeah. So in that case, the thing dinged, we pick up the phone, we respond back, even though we don't want to. And we have said, that this is outside of our business hours and we're going to do it, but we're doing it anyway. And then we're making the other person responsible for the action that we took and the decision that we made by being mad at them for the fact that we texted them back, mm-hmm. right? So that's like a scenario that comes up all the time, both in you know hypothetical MFR therapist lives and also in hypothetical, literally fucking everyone else. Like it (laughs) happens for all of us. You know, maybe like your mom forgets about like the time zone difference and is endlessly calling you at like 11 o'clock at night. And then you gotta like haul yourself out of bed and have this long conversation with your mother. And why doesn't she respect your boundaries? Blah, 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 blah. So this stuff will happen and we'll participate in it. And then we'll get mad at these other people for not respecting our boundaries. And we'll be like, they don't respect my boundaries. They're constantly But the truth is you're the one who doesn't respect your boundaries Mm. because you're the one who decided to pick up the phone and send a response at a time that you had previously said you were not going to send a response. And in doing so repeatedly, you are training the other person that it's not a boundary at all. It's just a thing you said that one time and didn't actually mean. And so they don't need to pay any attention to it. Right. Just like if you tell your mom, mom, you can't call me that late, but every fucking time you answer the phone, obviously she can call you that late because she keeps doing it and you keep picking up. Right. Right. So the boundary is a decision that we make within ourselves. If you text me between Friday and Sunday or after 5 p.m., I will not respond to you until the next business day. Mm-hmm. It's not if you text me in these times, you're a piece of shit. No. That's just control and manipulation again. It's if you do this, here's how I will respond. Yeah, That's it. It's just letting people know what you're going to do. 
But the trick is then you have to actually do it or it's just another thing that you said that you didn't mean, Yeah. right? So if like going back to the example that I used with like the mom who's doing everything around here, if you said you weren't gonna pick up all the clothes in your kid's room that aren't in the hamper so all the clothes get washed, stop picking up all the clothes in your kid's room that aren't in the hamper and just wash what's in the hamper because that's what you said you were going to do. It's not their fault that you decided to go ahead and do this extra step after saying you weren't going to. It's Mm -hmm. your fault. You're the one who did that. Nobody made you do that, Yeah. right? But we do it over and over and over and then we blame other people, but we're the ones who taught them that we didn't mean it in the first place. Right. Why do you think we do that though? Like what is the reason for not upholding your boundary or like washing the laundry anyway? Like what are we telling ourselves that makes us create that or take that action? What's happening? There's a couple things. One that often comes up is this is the last time. We'll like angrily pick it up and we'll say, Mm -hmm. this is the last time, but we'll say it like a hundred times. Like it's never the last time. And then we'll go yell at them. Right. And then we'll go yell at them. Yeah. I had to pick your stuff up all, you know, I'm I'm like, no, you didn't. You don't have to do shit. You chose to. Yeah. So we'll tell ourselves it's the last time, right? The same way we tell ourselves, I'm just being nice. And that's, it's not true that it's the last time. And it's not true that it's nice because it's really not nice to do something for someone and then be mad at them for it. Like, Mm. that's not nice. That's not kind. That's not generous. That's not helpful. Like if you're going to use it against them, it's not a gift. It's a thing you like beat them upside the head with. Yeah, it's like a weapon. Yeah, it's not a gift. It's a weapon. It's like a trick, right? And it is a manipulation. It's an effort to control them. Mm-hmm. But we keep doing it because we tell ourselves, if I just give them one more chance, then they'll do it. And we aren't open to the possibility that they won't. Like we don't consider that they're actually not going to because why should they? Because we make it so they don't have to, right? And we also don't want to deal with what their reaction is. This kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier with what their reaction is when we haven't done the thing that we said we weren't going to do. So like my kids are young and not involved in sports, but I I know some people, they have uh, teenagers who are athletes and their kids don't put their, you know, sports uniform in the hamper. It's on the floor somewhere or thrown on the back of a chair. And then it's game day and their uniform's not clean and they pitch a fit because mom was supposed to clean the uniform or whatever. And we feel guilt and we feel shame and we feel anger and we feel bad and we're uncomfortable with their feelings and don't want to deal with it. And so we just avoid the whole thing by resentfully washing it anyway. Yeah. So like we're trying to avoid discomfort, but the way we're doing it is just creating another type of discomfort that leads us to be less and less and less connected to the people that we're choosing to accommodate instead of holding a boundary with. So like with the client, if you don't answer and then they send seven more texts asking why you didn't answer and then being like, I can't believe you're not answering me. And this goes on all weekend. And then you get back to them on Monday and say, hi, I'm back at my desk. Did you still need help with this? And they're really mad at you. You don't want to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So you avoid it, but it ensures that it will keep happening. 
Exactly. And if you just hold your boundary, it might only take one or two times of holding that boundary for them to like be trained in like, oh, she's really not going to answer me until she's back at her desk. Yeah, exactly. And eventually when people stop getting the positive reinforcement from the undesirable behavior, they will stop doing the undesirable behavior. Yeah. Even like with your dog, right? If like they're jumping on you and you're like, oh, they don't mean to jump. They're just so excited. They're going to keep jumping forever. But when they jump on you, you protect yourself with like a swift knee to the chest to keep them from knocking you down. They're going to learn real quick. And I'm not saying you have to like physically assault people, but (laughs) (laughs) if you don't want someone to do something, stop participating in them doing it, right? Yeah. Humans are really easy. We think we're like super complicated, but we're actually not that complicated. We're really trainable. We just need to retrain ourselves and then other people will catch up. Mm -hmm. And we're not responsible for other people's responses to our boundaries. So like, for instance, Mm -hmm. I have this boundary that, especially like in relationships, if people are not willing to talk to me, like if they would be in the same room with me and ignore me for any reason, like without talking, it's a hard no for me. So I grew up in a family where like icing you out was like the best form of punishment you could have. And I will not willfully be in relationships with people that want to ice me out. So I'm just like, not going to be your friend anymore. Yeah. And it only takes one time of doing that. And then I'm just, I'm done. That's a hard boundary for me. I never actually have to tell anyone, I guess they'll get the memo by us not being friends. (laughs) I don't know if I'm doing it right. Yeah. Like they figure it out. Yeah. Like you'll have to figure it out. Yeah. Well, and so that's a great example of like what a boundary actually is. If you treat me in this way, then I am no longer available for friendship. Yeah. Period. Period. Then I will disconnect from continuing to engage with you because I do not agree to participate in being treated this way. Yeah. And this is where it's different from control because that's an example that it can break people's brains a little bit because it's like, Mm -hmm. well, aren't you like withholding love and affection (laughs) from people just for being who they are or whatever? Like, no, it doesn't mean that you think that they're like a piece of shit who's like dead to you and they should like fuck off forever. It just means that you're not willing to interact with people under those conditions. And you don't need to try to convince, cajole, persuade force them to interact with you in that specific way. You don't have to get them to agree. Like you don't have to do any of that shit to try to force them to behave how you want them to. You just are focusing on what you're willing to do. Yeah. And that's where it's different. Like we think it's sometimes it's a boundary that's like, if you're going to act that way to me as a friend, then I'm not going to be friends with you. But first we're going to have like a 90 minute conversation while I try to force you to behave in the way that I think you're supposed to behave and try to change you and try to make you into someone that you're not like that's manipulation. That's control. Just saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm not available for a relationship that operates that way. Like go with God, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's really a lesson release. Yeah. I'm just not available for it because it's, it's not something I want to take time for. It doesn't feel good. My nervous system hates it. And just not available for that. Yeah. Too many people that don't do that. (laughs) Right. And you don't have to like make them agree with you or anything because you agreed with you and they're allowed to do their relationships however they want. Mm -hmm. They're just not allowed to do that to you because you don't consent. Yeah. Right. And then you just take your non-consent and go interact with other people where the relationship is consensual for you. Yes, exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah. 
totally. It's the difference between like, hey, if you don't put your stuff in the hamper, I'm not going to wash it versus like, hey, if you don't put your stuff in the hamper, you're a piece of shit and I'll know how you really feel about me. Yeah. Like that's not a boundary. That's just you being an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. I'm also an asshole a lot of the time, but I try not to. Well, yeah, no, me too. (laughs) I am like a judgmental bitch. Like I am a total asshole, but like I'm okay with it. That's not a problem. Just know it. That's the trick. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think too, something about this, like just screams radical self-responsibility, which I'm a huge proponent of. Like when you mess Mm -hmm. up being like, yep, you know, I was kind of being an asshole or like, I'm not perfect. I don't pretend to be perfect. And I know that I cause harm to other people sometimes unintentionally. And I feel bad about that. Like I would never purposefully set out to hurt someone. And when circumstances arise and maybe I was the person that created harm or did did the thing, like I'm totally that mom that has screamed at her kids, just being willing to be like, you know what? Like that part where I screamed at you was real shitty and I'm going to try to not do that so much. And I feel bad, you know, like I don't want you to have a mom that screams. And I think that that laundry example or like the dishes is like such a good thing to see. It's like such an easy way for people to have a natural consequence that doesn't create any harm for anyone involved when you actually don't wash their underwear that they didn't put in the hamper. Like if you as the mom can make that not mean anything about you, you are winning at such a high level degree by not doing it. Totally, totally. And here's the other thing is another way to like frame that boundary like if I am only willing to wash the items that are in the hamper, so if an item is not in the hamper, I am not going to wash it. Another way to frame that is I am going to trust you to know what needs washing and what doesn't and put the things that need washing into the hamper so that can happen, right? Because when we are clear about our boundary, we're actually empowering other people to make informed choices. Mm-hmm right? If we're not clear about the boundary, if it's wishy-washy, if it's like dominate codependency, you have to take care of my feelings or you're a piece of shit E, that's not empowering for anyone. But this really like honors people's agency to decide because maybe that person just doesn't actually want that thing washed. And like they get to figure out how they want to handle that. And they understand if they want you to do this thing, these are the conditions under which you're willing to do it. And they can opt in or out. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I let my clients know. So I'm I'm not a hypothetical MFR therapist. I'm an actual life and business coach. And I let my clients know they're welcome to text me at any time, but I'm only going to respond if and when it's convenient for me. And if and when I think the thing warrants a response. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to be all the time. And like, if I don't get back to you when you think I should, you should adjust your expectations because I'm going to get back to you when I think I should. Mm -hmm. And if that's not okay with you, I'm not your coach. Right. Right. And then they opt in or opt out. And it doesn't mean anything about them. It doesn't mean anything about me. I'm just clear so they know what to expect. And then they're clear on whether they're willing to operate under those circumstances. And it just takes all of the, the resentment and the frustration out of it. And it just lets us be humans together without that shit in the way. It's a much less demanding way to operate because we just like, I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to let you take care of you. And then like we can come together knowing that we're both responsible for our own shit. And then we can do some really cool stuff together. Yeah, that's good. What would you say to someone who is like listening to this episode and they're just figuring out like, oh shoot, I'm having these incidences with my clients where 
working hours outside of the hours I really want to be working. And they're just starting to have this awareness mm-hmm. that they are people pleasing or that they are like manipulating the relationship in order to avoid feelings or to feel a certain way about themselves. What is mm-hmm. the very first step someone could take to start changing when they're not really sure what's going on or like they're not really willing yet to sit in their uncomfortable feelings? What's like one thing they could do to start to change things? Yeah, I think the first step is just to develop the awareness of what's happening and just get really clear that this is actually happening and start to notice the spots where it comes up. Mm-hmm. So for example, with the you know people texting out of hours, if you hear the sound, like the ding or the vibration or whatever of your device, and you have a reaction, that like ugh feeling, that not again feeling, that is an excellent clue that you are saying yes to something that you want to say no to Mm. and that you have done it in the past and it makes you feel gross, right? That ugh reaction, that not again reaction is a very clear indicator that you are doing something purportedly for someone else, but really for yourself that you don't actually want to do. And when you start to tune into that, you're probably going to be shocked and maybe a little bit horrified (laughs) at how many places that that comes up in your life. But I want to invite you to explore the possibility that it's actually great news because your body actually has a really clear fuck no. And it's telling you that you were just ignoring it. So now you have all of these data points to show you where your fuck knows live so you can start honoring them. And you don't have to do it all at once. You don't have to do it at all. I mean, like if this works for you, like don't fix what ain't broke. But if it's not working for you, noticing the ugh feeling and then saying, okay, what do I actually want here? Mm-hmm. And answering that question for yourself is a really good place to start. And then if you're not ready to do anything differently, you can choose to do this thing from a place of conscious choice. Mm -hmm. And that is going to start already to like radically change your experience of it. Just saying, oh, this feels terrible. I don't want to respond to this person, but I feel like I have to because I set this expectation with them. I know I don't actually have to, but I'm choosing to because right now that feels better for me than not doing it would feel, right? Then it becomes a choice that you're aware of and you are taking some sense of power in that and you're shifting from blaming them to acknowledging that you are choosing this. Like start there, man, just start there. And if you start to notice that and feel ready for something else, then you can start to change your behavior. But you don't have to go from like zero to 60 here. You're not like a terrible person. If you like become aware and like aren't ready to do something about it, like if we are doing stuff because we think it makes us selfish not to do things for other people, then we'll also tell ourselves that it makes us selfish to not stop doing these things, right? Like we'll use anything to prove that we're like pieces of shit. (laughs) So like, don't use your awareness against yourself, like celebrate your awareness and like notice the places where you're getting more tuned into it and where you are making a conscious choice 
And it doesn't matter what the conscious choice is. It just matters that it's conscious and you're aware that you're making it. And you can just do that forever. And that's fine. You don't have to make yourself wrong for any part of this. Right. I think that's such good advice. Like awareness is key. This is something that John Barnes says all the time. He's our teacher for myofascial release. And when you have awareness, you have a certain power over yourself and over how you want things to go, no matter what you decide. And we can always like make the quote unquote wrong decision over and over again. And it's also okay. Like we don't have to make it mean anything about ourselves. We're just learning and we're just testing. And if you think about everything kind of as this wild experiment, okay, this is the feeling I get, the sensation, that feeling when I get this text message. And I still am acting like Pavlov's dog, just waiting to respond. Am I sick of that yet? Like, do I want to change it? What would it be like if I waited an extra hour to respond? What if I waited an extra five hours to respond? And like just slowly allowing yourself to feel that feeling of you don't know what's going to happen. So it feels a little yucky because you don't know what the other person is going to do. And we can never control anybody else. We can only control ourselves. So just experimenting with it and seeing what happens, seeing if you can delay the response longer and longer something to check out and something you can start doing immediately because I'm sure we're all getting appointment requests or that one client that thinks they can get in on Saturday, even though you don't work Saturdays, or they think they can get a discount if they come every week, but they don't have to buy a package. Like there's all kinds of ways people try to get things out of us. And if we are willing to give into them and and do it, like they're going to want that every time. So there's all kinds of places in your practice right now where you can just immediately put this kind of awareness into practice, which is awesome. So thank you for sharing it. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you can't be like consciously and intentionally generous. Mm -hmm. Like if someone asks you for something and you get a fuck yes, and you actually want to give it to them, if you don't have that response, But the thought of giving it to them lights you up. You're allowed to do that. It's not like you can't be nice to people. Yeah. It's like, I can have boundaries or I can be a nice person. Having the boundaries gives you more access to actually being a nice person because you're consciously choosing to do the thing, Mm -hmm. right? Like I don't see clients on Saturdays, but there may be times that I have the time and I actually really want to. And it would feel good for me and it would feel good for them. And I am like willing to make a conscious choice. Maybe I've been on vacation for three weeks and we want to pick up where we left off. And I don't want to wait for, you know, an extra 14 days before our regular session is coming around. I may want to just check back in and I can say, Hey, in the past, you've expressed interest in it. I can't usually do it, but this week I can. Would you like to? Mm-hmm. It's fine if you have plans, but just wanted to check in with you know, we can offer people options and they can ask for whatever they want, but that doesn't mean we just have to give it to them because they ask, right? We just get to pick. We want to be more conscious of choosing. And what you were saying about like stretching it out is so helpful because when we extend the time between the stimulus and the response it stops being that automatic reaction and it moves us more toward consciousness. Mm -hmm. Something else that we can do is we can put some environmental supports around us. So for example, with the laundry, having a hamper that doesn't have a lid on it is going to significantly increase the likelihood that shit's going to end up in the hamper. Right. Right. Because anything we can do to remove like the barrier to entry, literally in that (laughs) situation 
is gonna make it simpler. Yeah. Like that's just a great example of an environmental support. But another example of an environmental support is that we just set our phones to automatically go to do not disturb, except mm-hmm. for like people in our favorites list or something. Yeah. When your work hours are over. So then you're not having the constant ding, 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 ding that's reminding you of all the shit that you feel like you're supposed to be doing right now instead of being in your life. So we can make adjustments that allow us to have less of a cognitive load and less work to do things differently in the way that we want to. Yeah. I love that. And that's actually something I just deployed for myself was that do not disturb mode after 4 p.m. And I I think after having so many weeks away from social media and email and all that stuff, just now having it back on my phone, but having this cutoff that happens and I don't even have to think about it, mm-hmm. I can still check my phone and can still look at whatever I want to whenever I want to, but I'm not constantly getting any kind of reminders. And I'll actually forget to check it now because I think I've had enough weeks without it. And we'll see. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of days and couple of weeks as I'm more and more engrossed on my social media accounts again. But just having that, knowing that like I'm not going to get a ding in the middle of the night, I'm not going to wake up to 1,000 messages all night long from whoever decided to reach out or whatever. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm exaggerating. It's not thousands, but you know, sometimes there's a lot of spam. But sometimes it feels like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like two, but yeah. it's just nice to not have that. And I used to think before having that do not disturb mode was annoying. I don't know why I thought it was annoying. Like I, it's almost like I needed that constant stimulus to probably avoid Mm -hmm. some sort of feeling, you know, probably what I thought I would feel on vacation, which I did feel and I did survive. And now it's, it's like I got through it. And so it's just not a problem that has to be solved. It's like, you just need to let yourself go through some of these things instead of fighting against it. So you can feel the peace on the other side. And that's kind of yeah. what you get when you quit giving a fuck about whatever everyone is thinking about you. And when they ask you something, you think you immediately have to say yes, or it means something bad about you. Like, it's just not the truth. Yeah. Especially people who have like a high level of perfectionism. I happen to be one of those people. <laughs> they may be resistant to making that kind of adjustment to creating an environmental support that sets a boundary because then they're not being a good whatever. For sure. Like, I totally oh, have I'm that. not yeah. being a good coach. I'm not being a good therapist. I'm not being a good mom, right? Mm-hmm. And like we do these things that we don't actually want to do because we're prioritizing, like checking a box that we made up for ourselves over like actually doing the thing that we want. And you're totally allowed to do that. But I want to invite you to do it consciously. And I want to also invite you to explore what it means to be a good whatever, right? Because like, just like a good parent, we might have this idea that like, as a good parent, I don't allow my child to experience suffering. And like, good news, bad news. (laughs) When you approach parenting in that way, and then you're not around and your child is experiencing suffering, they have zero resources to deal with it because you have never let them develop those resources. Mm -hmm. And so the things that you're doing that you're telling yourself you have to do in order to be a good parent are actually working at like cross purposes to the thing that you really want for yourself. So like, is it actually true that a good therapist is on call 24 seven for their clients? 
I'm going to say it's not because God forbid you get hit by a milk truck tomorrow and that person has no internal resources because they were using you as all of their resources. Yeah. And that doesn't serve anybody. And it creates a lot of pressure in the relationship. And if it's true emergency, that's what 911 is for. That's not what you're for. Exactly. And I think a lot of therapists hesitate, like this just shows up in everything, like raising your rates, changing your hours, moving Mm -hmm. to a new location, any of the little things that we do. And it really can impede the speed at which you can grow your practice, at which you can grow your financial stability, at which you can grow Mm -hmm. your income because you are afraid that people are going to leave you or you're afraid that they're going to have thoughts about you or whatever it is. You're trying to manipulate the situation. You're trying to people please all of them to keep everybody there so nothing changes and you don't grow, they don't grow. And you want them to be dependent on you like you're dependent on them. And it just can Mm -hmm. create so much drama in your business that you don't need because your clients are always going to pay your rate. They're always going to come during your hours, but you are the middle of that. Like You're the central figure that gets to create all of that and the person that has to withhold all of the boundaries. So for all the the MFR therapists and whoever else at all is listening, this stuff is up to you. And this is where you get to use this information and this new awareness to really look at your practice and really take that radical self-responsibility and see what you've created. And are you willing to change it in any way? Or are you all knowing and you just don't need any help? Because it's the therapist that's willing to be like, oh, here's where I've created this exact result. And Mm -hmm. this is what I want to see differently. That's going to have a different outcome versus the therapist that knows it all, doesn't want any help. And is still miserable, but you know, it's everybody else's fault. That's the difference. Yeah. When you take that responsibility. Yeah. And I I also want to add that if we decide that we're going to take this on, if we're going to make this adjustments, it can be really tempting to feel like we have to over explain Mm, ourselves. Like we need to go and like get everybody's consent and and good, warm, fuzzy feelings and like make sure they feel some kind of way about it so we can feel okay doing it. And that's not really how that works, right? Like you don't actually need other people's consent in order for you to have a boundary for yourself about what you're going to do, right? And it's okay if they don't like it. And you don't even necessarily need to like let them know, you just start behaving differently. Yeah. But there may be some places where not having the boundary you realize has created some harm. And you may feel like you want to clean that up. Most of the time with stuff like answering text messages, that's not the case, but there may be some places where it is. And that's a really great place to go to that person and not over explain, but just take responsibility and let them know the responsibility that you're claiming moving forward. Like, hey, Heather, I want to acknowledge I have not been keeping the boundary that I told you I was going to keep. And I have to imagine that was really confusing for you. And I'm really sorry that I was not keeping that boundary after I told you that I was going to. And I want to let you know that I'm recommitting to that. So from now on, like, you know, you text me whenever, but I'm only going to respond between 10 and 5 Monday through Thursday. And I'm letting you know, because I owe you an apology for not sticking with that. But from now on, I am going to. And I just wanted to give you a heads up. They don't need to say, oh, okay, great. You don't need to have a conversation about it. But just acknowledging, hey, I said I was going to do something and then I didn't do it. I'm sorry. And here's what's going to happen moving forward. 
it can be a great conversation to have. And it can be that simple. Like I even said too much in the example that I just Mm -hmm. gave. I mean, and you could even say nothing, right? Yeah. You just don't respond to messages outside of business hours and go back to what you said. Mm -hmm. But if there's a place where like you do believe it created harm and you want to go acknowledge confusion, you did this thing. Yeah. And people are a lot smarter than we sometimes give them credit for when we're trying to feel okay about a decision that's like actually not that big a deal, but it feels really big to us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like when you stop responding after hours, they will eventually figure it out. Like you don't need to like send an email out to your entire practice, letting them know that you're going to start doing this thing. You can just start doing the thing. You don't need to give everyone a heads up. But if you wanted to, hey, I haven't held the boundary. I'm going to start and I wanted to let you know so you know what to expect. Talk to you next week. Like it can just be very simple. So good. And I always recommend like being clear and honest and just transparent with your clients about what the expectations are so that you're training Mm -hmm. them up from the beginning. But you can only be clear like that when you take the time to actually decide how you want these conversations to go, how you want your clients to show up and treat you, like what the expectations are. You set those boundaries. You take the time to go in and really super think about how you want to experience your clients. And then you start creating these rules or these boundaries for yourself, what you're going to uphold. And how you are behaving is how they're going to behave as well. There's always going to be some sort of rogue weirdo out there. That's okay, (laughs) right? Like That's not an example of everybody. And you'll know how to handle those people when they show up. Yeah. And to your point, it really is your boundary. Your boundary is your responsibility. Mm -hmm. Just like other people's boundaries are their responsibility. It's not Mm -hmm. my job to remember what time it is in some other place and to know what everybody's preferences are for X, Y, and Z. It's their job to know that and not participate in anything they're not willing to participate in. And it's my job to know what my boundary is and not participate in anything I'm not willing to participate in. Right. So like, yeah. if I don't want to get calls after 10 o'clock, it's my job to silence my phone and not answer calls after 10 o'clock. It's not the job of every person who's ever met me to remember that Kristen King, the life and business coach who lives in Colorado, doesn't want calls after 10 PM mountain time. Right. Cause like, if it was your job to remember other people's boundaries, obviously like there's some stuff that you want to be aware of, but like relatively small things like this, you'd have to be remembering a million different boundaries for like thousands of people. That's highly impractical. Yeah, And it's like not personal when people are like misstepping or doing something you don't like. It's not actually their job to know and remember that. It's your job to know and remember that and to behave accordingly because all the power is on you. Yes. And like the responsibility is on you, but the power is on you. And then people can't disappoint us because we didn't expect them to behave differently anyway. Yeah. I like to think about the people that I have relationships with where it's like super, like it's so clear. I have no anxiety interacting with them based on how they've created their boundaries, like mm-hmm. unspoken boundaries. And I always kind of like know where I stand. I feel like I know what the rules are without knowing what the rules are. (laughs) And it it goes really smoothly. So I like to create that too for my clients and my relationships. It's always a work in progress because I think just the way my brain works and just my past history. (laughs) But I'm always learning as I go. And I'm always willing to take responsibility for where I go wrong and to try to do it differently next time. Always learning from 
experiences, even painful ones, even ones where you're like, oh, I wish that wouldn't have happened or whatever. But you can always learn something from all these interactions that you have and see where you're not holding your boundaries and where you could hold them stronger or change them or be more flexible or be less flexible, all those things. Yeah. So we should probably wrap it up because, I mean, we could probably talk all day about it. And lucky for my people that are in my July group, Kristen King is coming in to do some work with my group on people pleasing and to help everybody in there, which is so fun. So that's one of the perks that you get for being a group coaching member is you get access to all of the amazing people that I've met along the way that can teach people lessons that are outside of my wheelhouse, but in theirs. So it's super fun. So I just want to thank you so much for being here today. There's anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Let me know. Yeah. I have a good wrap up thought here. So the best way for you to get your fucks back and to give fewer fucks is to stop giving a fuck about what a million other people's thoughts and reactions are going to be because those are their responsibility and put all of those fucks back into what you're going to do because that's the only thing that you can control. We can't control what people think about us. We can't control other people's feelings. We can't even control other people's behavior a lot of the time. And so giving all of our fucks to that stuff is really pointless. We can, however, manage our thoughts, our feelings, and our behavior. And when you stop trying to do that to other people and focus on doing it for yourself, you have a lot more fucks left for the things you actually care about. I love that so much. Kristen also has a jar of fucks that she keeps on her desk. They are like wooden cutout words. Yeah. Little wooden laser cut fucks. There's probably what, 150 of them in this jar. I don't know. I'm not good at guessing the marbles. (laughs) She keeps them in her jar instead of giving them away on things that she doesn't give a fuck about. So I love it. All right, you guys, thanks for listening today. Thanks so much for being here, Kristen. I look forward to working with you more in the future. What's your handle on social media so people can just find you right away? Yeah. So I'm most active on Facebook and Instagram. And in both places, I am Kristen K-R-I-S-T-E-N Scove, S-K-O-V-E, King, K-I-N-G. I also have a website that is kristenking.com. And just remember, it's Kristen with an E. All right. Awesome. Okay. Thanks for joining me. And I'll see you all next week on another episode of the MFR Coaches Podcast. Bye. Thanks for joining me today. My goal is to help all MFR therapists stop under earning and burning out. I have several resources available for you. Read my book, The MFR Coach's Guide to Having Your Own MFR Business, available on Amazon and at Advanced John Barnes MFR Seminars. Keep listening to the podcast. I'll always have fresh content each and every week. Join my group coaching program. Enrollment opens four times per year. We take all the information I teach and lay down the foundation for your six-figure MFR business. It's more than just raising rates, but you'll make that the hardest part. Then expand into the business owner who delivers your rate like it's just the news and who can sell MFR to anyone in any situation. I'll show you how. Get on my email list, follow me on social media at the MFR coach, and visit my website for more information on group enrollment, themfrcoach.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.